Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is able to continue because of the support of listeners such as yourself. If you want to support this podcast, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Any amount is appreciated, but if you kick in $10 a month, you can get bonus episodes with Sedanta myself questioning the nature of our reality. Again, that's patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Thanks so much to everyone who makes this podcast possible. Do you think you can save them? I've seen a path, but I can't do it alone. Have you seen how it ends? Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial recap podcast about the HBO original series, Westworld. I am David Chen. I'm Siddhanta Dlaka. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Every week on this podcast, what we're doing is breaking down the latest episode of Westworld. We're spoiling it. We're speculating on it. We're thinking about it. This week, we'll be talking about Season 4, Episode 7, entitled Metanoia. Metanoia. We'll get into what that means exactly in the uh, near future. But Season 4, Episode 7 is what we'll be discussing on this week's episode of Decoding Westworld. Now, I want to start this week by reading an email from a listener named Carol. Carol writes in to decodingwestworld at gmail.com, quote, Hi, David Saddam. I just want to extend my compliments on your Decoding Westworld podcast. I've listened to other podcasts, and I find that yours provides the best combination of information with you. <laughs> I found another podcast too serious and long, and another that's just a bit too goofy with so many references to past and different shows that people might not know about. You have great chemistry and play so well off each other. I hope in the future you partner again, at least on Season 5 of Westworld. There better be a Season 5. On another note, I'm also glad you're out there because as a 50-something-year-old woman, I feel alone watching this show, as I have since Season 1, Episode 1. No one I know watches this, including my family. So after Sunday night's episode, I look forward to hearing from you both. Keep up the good work, and thank you. End quote. Uh, lovely email from Carol, writing into decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Now, thank you, Carol. Yes, thank you, Carol. And I have greatly enjoyed working with Siddhanth as well. You know, I have never done a long-running podcast with Siddhanth. You know, we've uh, we've appeared on podcasts together before, and he's been a guest on my podcast, Culturally Relevant, and the Filmcast. But we've never done kind of a, a collab in this way. And I think it's gone pretty well. I've been pretty happy with how it's gone. And I think the feedback from listeners has been great. And we really appreciate uh, listeners like Carol let us know about it. And the, the feedback has been so great that we are going to try something else. We're going to try collaborating on something else that we are going to announce right now here on the podcast. Hey! So, a couple big announcements, actually. First of all, I am very pleased to announce that Decoding Westworld is going to have a new name. We're rebranding. 
Uh, Decoding Westworld, you know, it's a great name. Great fitting name that's served us well for many years, but um, it's it's a little bit restrictive, Siddhanth. You know, it kind mm-hmm. of confines us to the world of Westworld, uh, which is a great world to be in, but, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, it only has a, sh- a show that comes out once every two to three years. So if we want to continue this show and talk about really interesting, let's say, TV shows, we gotta need, we need a new name, and uh, we have a new name. It's Decoding TV. Decoding TV is the new name of the podcast. So at some point during the course of the next week or so, possibly even while you are listening to this, the name of this podcast is going to change in all of your apps to Decoding TV. So do not be alarmed. There's going to be a new logo uh, from my colleague Danish Syed, who did an amazing job with our new logo. And we have a new name, new website, DecodingTV.com. Uh, where you can find all episodes of this podcast. And we're also going to be uploading in the future new episodes of this podcast as YouTube videos. I tried to do it on my personal YouTube channel. I wasn't able to keep it up. I wasn't super consistent about it. But moving forward with the next show that we'll be covering, uh, we will be uploading every episode to YouTube. And you can find those at decodingtv.com slash YouTube. Feel free to subscribe to the Decoding TV YouTube channel as well. So Decoding TV. The name of the podcast moving forward. But Sadanth, we are going to be covering a different show because Westworld is ending next week. So we're, we're not going to be covering Westworld anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sadanth, what is the next show that we'll be covering here on the Decoding TV podcast? We are going to be covering the Disney Plus TV series from Marvel Studios, She-Hulk Attorney at Law. She-Hulk Attorney at Law is the next show we're going to be covering now. I know you're probably wondering, why are you guys going to be covering She-Hulk Attorney at Law? Well, it's going to be a pretty interesting show. The cast is amazing. you got Tatiana Maslany, uh, Mark Ruffalo are in the show. Uh, and also, Siddhanth, I think this is a character that holds a place near and dear to your heart. Is that right? I do. I'm a huge, huge She-Hulk fan. Uh, and I am getting hints from the trailer that they might do some interesting things that harken back to some of my favorite comics of hers, which we'll talk about in due course. Yeah, and so if you have enjoyed listening to Decoding Westworld, I think what we are asking you to do is come along for the ride on Decoding TV. We're going to continue the show, and I I don't know how many listeners are going to stick around for our She-Hulk conversation. But here's the thing. If a bunch of listeners do stick around, if a lot of listeners do stick around, uh, we will continue this podcast year-round. We'll do other shows. Uh, and even if you don't like She-Hulk, there'll be other shows that you might be interested in. So we're going to ask you to keep tuning in. Uh, tune into our She-Hulk recap and uh, keep coming into the, the Decoding TV podcast feed. And I think there's going to be some interesting stuff uh, on this feed that you will enjoy. Um, so it's it's really an experiment. We don't we have no idea whether people are going to stick around. We hope you do. And if you do, uh, Siddhanth and I can keep talking about TV shows long into the future. But uh, that is the request tune into decoding tv at decodingtv.com uh starting in a couple weeks when our westworld recap is over and uh Siddhanth and i will continue our tv journey together and it should be a lot of fun so thanks to everyone who has listened to this season of decoding westworld thanks to everyone who has supported this season at patreon.com slash dave chen and we hope that you will continue to listen and support at decodingtv.com um any other thoughts Siddhanth, before we move on to the next topic yeah, uh, first of all, I want to return the compliment and say that I've loved working with you so far and I'm really excited about this. Also, uh, loving the name Decoding TV, because uh, it would be weird if we were still called Decoding Westworld while we were 
talking about She-Hulk attorney at law, but I want to go on record and say that uh, She-Hulk is an AI. She exists in a simulation. <laughs> wow. Just putting that out there in case. You're, you're, you're pointing, you're Babe Ruth pointing into the outfield right now. You're saying like, it's, <laughs> hey, she's going to turn out to be an AI. We got to get some, uh, some Westworld listeners over to She-Hulk. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so yeah, stick around. DecodingTV.com, DecodingTV.com slash YouTube. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And if our She-Hulk recap does well in terms of listenership, like it's very likely this podcast could go on indefinitely uh, with covering different shows throughout the year uh, that are going to be exciting and interesting. So please tune in. Uh, we'd love to have you around. All right, let's move on. One other announcement I had about the show itself is that uh, we might be recording the last episode of Decoding Westworld, the season four, episode eight recap, a little bit late. Uh, typically, this show comes out on Monday morning. Uh, the season four, episode eight recap might come out Monday night, maybe sometime on Tuesday, uh, just for scheduling reasons. So sorry about that. Uh, but Thank you for your patience. I assure you it will be worth it. But uh, just wanted to let people know it's probably not going to be Monday morning if I had to guess. Uh, We'll see. We'll try to make it happen. But just uh, letting people know next week's episode might be a little bit late. Okay. Finally, I wanted to read an email uh, from a listener. uh, And this one comes in from Lou who writes into decodingwestworld.gmail.com, quote, Hi, I'm from Shanghai, China, and I've been listening to your podcast since season one. It's a lot of fun. Everyone is calling the city in Westworld New York, but I notice one building that is extremely familiar to me since it's one of the iconic buildings in Shanghai, whose nickname is Bottle Opener. And I know some people see buildings from other cities in this city. So this leads to a question that's bothering me. Is this built by hosts at some place? What is happening to the rest of the world? Is the whole world controlled by hosts or only the U.S. is controlled by the hosts? We kind of know there was a park in Asia, if I remember correctly. What might be happening to it? Would love to hear your thoughts on this end quote. This was a mind-blowing email because Lou in his email or her email um, included screenshots from the TV show and then, uh, like, aerial footage of uh, of Shanghai, and it's like the buildings match. Like, oh, yeah. some of the buildings in what we think of as New York are actually also in Shanghai. And it's, like, iconic buildings that are only in that, in that uh, city and country. So the question is, are we, in fact, in New York City in Westworld Season 4? Now, my guess is... We are, and that Char Loris, the Tessa Thompson character, has just constructed a simulacrum of the rest of the world's cities inside New York City is, is my guess. Um, like this is this is kind of meant to be every city. The the thing that's weird about it though is it does have the Statue of Liberty, or people can see the Statue of Liberty if they're fleeps, uh, <laughs> aka fly infected humans. And the other thing is. That in this episode, season four, episode seven, uh, one of the characters says, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll have a boat for you and I'll meet you in Red Hook, which I believe is a neighborhood in Brooklyn. That's right. So it does seem to heavily imply that this is New York, but maybe with some additions to it. What do you, what do you make of Lou's email, Sadanth? Uh I thought it was really interesting because I completely missed the bottle opener because uh, I'm, I'm familiar with the building. Um, but I think that leaves us with one of three possibilities. One, that this is some other, you know, place in the world where it's a collection of different kinds of cities and architectures that the hosts have built, an entirely new city from the ground up that they've sort of based on New York. 
another one is that this is very much New York um, as we once knew it, but now the hosts have added all this additional architecture, excuse me, architecture and infrastructure to it. Um, but the third possibility is that the hosts haven't really done all that much except add um, their own, you know, mind control infrastructure. And even before they took over, New York had started to transform into a city of even more skyscrapers that were, um, you know, maybe copied from other cities or what have you. Because um, it's also likely that the people designing, you know, a quote unquote futuristic New York may have said, let's look at, you know, skyscrapers that are distinct in other parts of the world and, you know, kind of use those assets. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. I think we're left with quite a number of interesting possibilities. But like you said, because this episode specifically references Red Hook and because there's a scene set in what appears to be Times Square, um, I assume that this is the real New York or yeah. something modeled off the real New York. That is my assumption as well, that this is like New York with some like actual New York with some additions to it. Um, I, I don't think they're ever going to address it on the show, though, is my if I had to guess. Um, I don't think they're going to explain what the city is. And it, if that if they don't explain it, I think it's actually pretty cool that they kind of left these Easter eggs in the background. Uh, well, and, I, I know yeah. in next week's episode, I saw a little clip where someone's like, hey, yo, I'm a host over here. So I think they're pretty much confirmed. <laughs> I'm walking here in yeah. New York City with fleeps. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you for the email at decodingwestworld.gmail.com. And by the way, our new email will be decodingtv at gmail.com, but for a little bit, we'll be accepting emails for both addresses. Um, so let's get to season four, episode seven, Metanoia. What is the meaning of metanoia, Siddhanth Adlaka? Well, before looking it up, I thought it sounded like metal paranoia. And mm -hmm. that yeah, is same. not what it means. That's not mm -hmm. what it means. But at the same time, can you would really be fault would me? Be fitting yeah. If it was. yeah, yeah, because this is Westworld. But no, in Christian theology, uh, it refers to the change in one's way of life resulting from uh, spiritual conversion or a transformative change of heart, especially a spiritual conversion. So basically, it seems to mean, on a literal level, a change of heart which is, you know, something that holds relevance to one character in particular this time around. But also it seems to, you know, in a very sideways kind of way, also imply a sense of transcendence, a spiritual transcendence in a way, like not directly, but, you know, you, you watch an episode like this and you can't help but draw these conclusions. Yeah, um, I think... All that is spot on, and I think it's a characteristically ambiguous, very symbolic, potentially extremely meaningful uh, name. And I always appreciate you kind of bring in these definitions because honestly, I might not have even looked it up <laughs> if we weren't doing this podcast. So this this is website. It's uh, you should it's g o o g l e <laughs> dot com. If anyone wants to mm. check this out, Goggle is that Goggle. what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that where you okay? Yeah, okay, it's thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so let's talk about overall thoughts on the episode. Uh, Siddhanth, what did you think of the episode overall, season four, episode seven, Metanoia? Once again, I have caveats and objections, but I found myself loving it. I am, I'm so thrilled with where the season has ended up. You know, there's, there's definitely stuff that I, I, I don't love about this particular episode, stuff that feels a little 
maybe sudden or unceremonious or slightly disconnected. But as a whole, the way it crescendos, the way it, you know, the way it builds to that crescendo, I love everything about it. I got to agree. I, I have some qualms, uh, but overall, I love this episode. I thought it was awesome. Like yes. this, this is the best Westworld episode season, I should say, since season one. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a great kind of buildup. We got some answers to questions we've been asking. Maddeningly, few other questions were answered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but overall, and there's, there's just some great sequences in this episode. And I, I think it's a great episode. It's a great episode of television. So I really was a big fan of this one. Um, mm-hmm. So let's get into it now. You know, usually we cover each character's storyline individually. It's going to be a little bit difficult this episode because uh, all storylines converge finally, right? Like, I think every single storyline is addressed in this episode, right? Like, every character yep. shows up in this episode, right? You got the Bernard, you got Maeve, you got Christina, you got Charloris, you got Caleb. Like, everyone um, finally gets to share the screen together in one episode. The gang's all here. The yeah. gang's all here. And not only that, but this is the first confirmation we have, as far as I know, that the Christina stuff is taking place contemporaneously with the other stuff in the show, right? With a little Um, asterisk. With a little asterisk. (laughs) Exactly right. Um, But I have had a lot of doubts as to whether like, what we're watching with Christina is taking place at the same time period as everything else in the show. Um, and this this episode in which she encounters characters that we see in the episode intersecting with other characters um, seems to confirm like yep she is um, she is p- part of this world mm. uh, or at least observing the world that we have known until now. <laughs> yeah. um, so you remember when I said I would give you a slow clap if it turns out to be that she is in a simulation or in mm-hmm. like a virtual reality? <laughs> you, you get one clap for being mm-hmm. like... Thank you. Thank you. Sort of that. in the ballpark. Uh, sort of in the ballpark. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. Such a, that was actually a backhanded slap to my oh, face. Oh, come on. Was what that sound was? You were closer than I was. Mm, Fair enough, fair enough. Well, we'll talk in a bit about what exactly that all means. But let's let's start with the opening, okay? Let's start with the opening because this opening is incredible. Mm -hmm. I love this, right? Bernard Maeve, they drive to Hoover Hoover Dam. um, And Bernard's doing his thing where he predicts the future. And then he opens up the... It confirms what I think we already basically knew, which is that this is the sublime. The sublime is housing. Um, the, the, the Hoover Dam is housing the sublime and he uses the key that he has in his brain to like unlock the sublime, uh, in a fairly clunky bit of UI or UX exposition. It's like (laughs) activate key question mark. And he's like, yes. So, uh, he activates the key and then the, the version of Maeve that he's talking with is like, hey, uh, I, I, I want you to send me back in there. I don't want to fight anymore. And he's like, hmm, you're actually a simulation. And like half the time, like you want to fight and half the time you want to just go back in the sublime and be with your daughter. Um, and he's like, I'm not sure. Is it like, would the, what would the real Maeve actually do? Because you're just like a, an image of Maeve in my mind. And uh, and then there's an amazing shot where he's kind of drinking a glass of water <laughs> while, uh, you know, 
the uh, Ed 209 knocks the wall <laughs> down from behind him. And it's just an incredible sequence. And then he like wakes up. I think he is in the sublime, yeah. right? At that point when he wakes up, he's talking with Zon McLarnan, right? Like he is running a simulation in the sublime at that point. Yes. Yes. Um, and then he's, he's uh, the clip that you heard at the beginning of this episode plays where he's like, yeah, like, I think I know how to save him, but like, it will involve me dying. And then the aspect ratio of the show sh- slowly changes and that's just amazing. You watch the same scene with a different aspect ratio, indicating that, like, this is now reality. And I just love when shows play with formats like that. And I love the moment when you realize what's going on and, like, the aspect ratio is slowly expanding. It's just such a cool thing to have happen. What did you think, Sadan? Like you said, I, I loved it because, you know, it, it, it opens in widescreen. It opens in that 235 or 2.2 or whatever it is. I haven't, you know measured but you all know what i'm talking about the black yeah. bars up and, and down, right? like anamorphic aspect yes. ratio, basically yeah yeah and uh so that you know throughout the show has indicated to us that you know it's it's a virtual world but regardless even though i am always the first one to point it out i thought to myself is it because this show <laughs> this show like really really you know plays around with mm-hmm. us so i found myself <laughs> questioning the nature of this virtual reality i have i'm a paranoid wreck what can i say um thank you westworld and i think this is the first time we really see um a scene play out both in one of bernard's simulations mm-hmm. and then in reality yeah. and you know like you said we see it play out with two different aspect ratios but we also see some really subtle differences uh, some of the footage seems to be repurposed, right? Some of the shots seem to yeah. be repurposed. Some of the shots seem longer. Um, there's one shot where, you know, they're walking down this this passageway. And the first time we see it, they just keep walking. The second time, you know, Bernard like moves off to the side and I think he places something down or picks something up. And so it both is and isn't the simulation that he ran. So some parts of the simulation, you know, th- this this timeline that's playing out, um, go according to it. Some parts don't. And like you said, I thought it was fascinating when, you know, the first time he's just holding what appears to be, I think it's alcohol. I don't quite remember, but uh, he's just casually sipping a drink when, you know, buff chappy bursts in to kill them in the simulation. <laughs> um, and then we see it I all like again. Both have different names for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I do also really like that, you know, both times that they are, uh, around this space, and especially when they're leaving it, when it really happens, um, you, you see the entry to the sublime again. And we've seen this sort of thing before. The existence of the, you know, this virtual thing projected into a physical space where depending on who you are or where you are, it's something you can see. It's a sort of mm-hmm. overlap of the the virtual and the real. And that kind of sets the stage for... You, what we eventually see later, the reveal that comes later on. But I thought it was a great reminder of, you know, how these worlds are kind of connected and functioning at this stage. Yeah. Which reveal are you referring to, by the way, just so I know. Oh, come oh back right. The, um, the Christina reveal. I see. I see. I see. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and, and so, yeah, when he leaves the Hoover Dam, there's like a big tear in the space. That is not a physical tear in the actual world, right? That mm-hmm. is a... That is a metaphysical tear that only the host can see. Yes. Right? Yeah. 
as uh, as we kind of learned in season two of the show. Yeah, and and if you if if anyone's having trouble like wrapping their mind around it, picture it as something like Pokemon Go. <laughs> yes, yes. So it is visible to some people. You know, the Pokemon are visible to some people, but not to everyone. <laughs> let's. I think let's save all the Christina stuff to the end. Of course, of course. Let's let's because it's honestly not that much happens with Christina this episode, in my opinion. Um, but we let's save all that to the end, and yeah. uh, and we can talk about it all at once. But uh, so then. We cut to Caleb uh, talking with Charloris and William, and um, Charloris is talking to Caleb, and and she, there's a, a, some smart exposition where she reestablishes what mm-hmm. the rules of the world are. She says, "Hey, you know, uh, be careful because a bullet through your brain pearl, brain ball, as she call they call it a pearl in world, mm-hmm. but a, a mm-hmm. bullet through your pearl still means you know death for you, right? Like so." FYI, you're dead if you get a bullet through the pearl, which is going to become very relevant throughout the course of this episode. Um, <laughs> but she then says uh, vague, menacing remarks about how, like, it's the humans that are going to be in cold storage now. And then she says, basically, we're shutting down the whole city. Oh, uh, no. And she says, William, guess what? You're shut. Like, this, this, king- this kingdom that you're lording over right now, you get it for one more day, and then we're shutting down the whole city. Whatever that means, I don't think it's super clear. Like, I guess mm-hmm. they're all going to die. Like, I don't, I don't know what you interpreted that as, but yeah, I don't think it's made clear at any point. I know later on there's a reference to like um, an atomic bomb, but I think it's in a different context. So I don't think mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen. Um, right, right, because because William, yeah. real life William, talks yeah. about like an atomic bomb and like maybe she's going to nuke every. Like, it's kind of implied that she might nuke everything, right? Mm-hmm. But, but I, I have some theories as to why that may be incorrect. Mm. Um, I think it is just. I think it boils down to an elimination of the humans in a physical sense, mm-hmm. whether it's killing them, whether it's literally putting them, you know, on ice like they've done with you know the original William. Um, also, just a super quick aesthetic point. I love how. You know, as Charlotte says, she's leaving the scene. The camera just kind of lingers on host William for a while. And there's a lot of little moments like that throughout the episode that I really, really love. And I think Mira Menon, who directed this, is such an amazing TV director. Uh, she did some work on Miss Marvel as well. So, you know, kudos to her. I have to say, I'm, I've been really impressed with the directorial slate this mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been... A, a huge variety of directors this season. And, and I think many of them have not worked on previous seasons, if, if my memory serves. Yeah, I believe this um, is her first. Yeah, so they've, they've done a good job kind of branching out and um, and getting some new talent behind the lens. Um, so then there is a sense, okay, so Bernard has opened the sublime up and then he regroups with, uh, Bernard and Maeve regroup with C and Stubbs. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, here's our plan. We're going to infiltrate the city and uh, and take down Charloris, basically, right? Um, and at that point, Bernard says goodbye to Stubbs and implies to Stubbs that Stubbs is not going to survive. Yeah, which is, which is a little weird because we know because because he doesn't die this episode, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he and Bernard knows that Bernard's going to die, so it's weird that he says like you're going to die. Anyway, uh, maybe Stubbs will also die, but. Uh, the, so everyone is converging on the city. 
everyone's converging on the city. Charloris records a message to host saying like, we're shutting down. It's time for us to leave behind the human bodies to rid ourselves of our sentimental allegiances to evolve into the species we were meant to become. End quote. Now she also, uh, in her little video observation security thing, she sees someone who transcends like a, a robot or a host who transcends. And it was weird. Like they remove a, a brain pearl and then they just put it into another robot. That's kind of what I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens a little later on in the episode, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And is so is it like, is that new robot? Um, um, is, is, is that just like transporting the brain ball to somewhere else? Or is it is that the final destination? Anyway, uh, I thought that was weird that transcending, we see this act of transcendence and it's just like, we're moving you from one robot body to the other robot body. You know, that's weird. That is that is where all my you know theorizing is going to come in about you know the various reveals and all that. Should we we should we get to it a little later? No, let's let's get to it now. Let's get to it now. Like I mean, she's saying it's time to transcend. It's time to shut down the city. Like yeah, what do you think this actually means? So I've been wondering that pretty much since it came up right in the beginning of the season or early on in the season. And my assumption was you know transcending the physical and then living in a virtual world, living in the sublime. But during this episode, I think when, um, you know, you first see uh, Christina and Teddy pass by in a hallway and then you see, um, I think it's Stubbs and C pass by the same hallway and they don't interact. That is when it started to dawn on me that, okay, that we, we've been thinking about this in such a binary sense, you know, physical world versus virtual world. But there's clearly something else going on here because there's been all this talk about transcending the physical and yet this physical space is so important to to Charloris and to some of the other characters. And then, you know, later we find out that, you know, Christina is real in a way. The world is real, but she is not a part of it. And that is her, what her I think. love is real, but she is not. <laughs> thank you thank you that's an, that's an ai reference steven thank spielberg's you. ai for those who love me some anyway. love me some ai yeah but then that's when it hit me when when you when you see charlora's looking at that video recording or uh the, the surveillance footage of someone taking a pearl out and putting it in this like representational body that this is not the sublime the sublime is somewhere else what i think is happening is that they have built you know this world that is you know connected through all these like sonic waves and basically like let's just call it for now super advanced wi-fi to the point that christina is able to exist in the physical world without a physical form Mm. and that is that's when it dawned on me that is probably what transcendence is in this context Mm. where where the next, she keeps talking about, you know, the next step in their evolution. And, you know, just just going into a virtual world, just going into the sublime, that's something that's happened already. It happened like 30 years ago in this world. The next step is to be able to exist in the actual real world without being tethered to a physical body. And, you know, you, you have throughout the city, these towers, these pylons, whatever it is, they are essentially creating some kind of network, some kind of web, some kind of virtual, whatever it is, to the point that they are able to exist on a particular wavelength, on you know, in a particular signal form as data 
moving through the physical world like digital ghosts. And I think that is such an incredible idea. And I'm a little bit mad that it's only come up in the second to last episode so explicitly. But yeah, I and, think this is uh, where I mean, it's going. You, first of all, I don't even agree with you that explicitly is the way to describe what has happened. <laughs> um, Fair I, enough. I, I think you are probably right. Everything you're saying makes a lot of sense, right? But I did find the Christina stuff to be pretty maddening because Chris, what happens with Christina is James Marsden basically says a lot. Christina's storyline this week is James Marsden says a lot of riddles at her. That is, <laughs> is Christina's storyline this week. And it's like they've been dragging this out for two episodes. Now just freaking explain what is actually going on. You know, yeah. I think you have an extremely strong theory that's almost definitely true. But we still don't have confirmation that you're right about it. So they're just dragging it out as long as they can. Mm-hmm. And it's like, guys, we're at the second to last episode. Just tell us the answer at this point. Just tell us the answer. So anyway. Uh, okay. At this at this point, all plot lines converge on yes. the Olympiad Tower. All plot lines converge on Olympiad Tower. But uh, I do want to call out this scene where uh, William, uh, the host version of William, meets with the original version of William. Uh, and he's asking him, like, what do you want? And, like, ba- basically, host William says, oh, Charloris is taking my toys away. <laughs> and, you know, OG William says, well, you know what I, like, you know what I would do? And 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 basically, there was a, uh, you and I had dreamed of a potential team-up between OG William and host William. Mm-hmm. But, in fact, what has happened is, OG Williams says, hey, you have a piece of me inside you already. Like, you're based off of my programming. And if that is true, you already have all the tools you need to uh, to destroy Charloris and take over. Right? You already have all the tools you need. P.S. Civilization is doomed. And you should accelerate its its end. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so uh, those are my instructions. Good luck. And then uh, Host William murders OG William again. Uh, the second time. First time was at the end of season three. Um, um, doesn't seem like he's going to be... <laughs> doesn't seem like he's going to have a body reconstructive suit this time because they cut that suit this time. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I-, I thought this was a great scene. Always great to see like an actor playing off themselves in yes. different personas. Ed Harris is obviously a genius actor. Um, so I-, I thought this was pretty cool. What did you think? I think it is so much better than what I had suggested, which was, you know, two Williams going pew, pew, pew. Um, And of course, a much better, much more fitting death scene, excuse me, for the original William. Mm -hmm. Um, Because something happens during this scene that I thought was incredibly interesting, where, you know, through the editing, there was a point where I lost track of who was actually talking. Mm. And that to me says that, all right, these these two, you know, beings, these two forms are kind of becoming one in a way. But at the same time, it's also like symbolically, it's patricide. It is, you know, the, the son killing the father and replacing him and, you know, taking his kingdom in a way. And I think the fact that after the original William is stabbed, when he's, when he's bleeding out, he dies with a smile on his face because yes. he knows... He knows, you know, that in a way his legacy, his intent is going to live on through this version of himself. It's really twisted. And I I loved it. I loved every second of it. Loved it as well. There is a prestige TV show that I will not name, but a major character who is evil dies in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and it's a show that I watched very recently, like in the last few months. And uh, similar situation, like the character dies and he kind of has a smile on his face because um, of something that's happened. Like because because something about the situation is satisfying to him in some way, right? Mm-hmm. And same deal here with William. Uh, and it, yeah, it's a it's a great performance. It reminded me of the end of season two of Succession, where Logan Roy smiles because he realizes that his son really is a quote unquote killer and has what it takes to be cutthroat. And this feels like a like an interesting mirror to that scene. So now I kind of want a succession world within Westworld. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Uh, let's talk about the the plot lines that converge. You got Christina and Teddy. They're going through Olympiad. And Christina's making all of her coworkers freak out, which is actually a really cool scene. Like, they're destroying a lot of glass oh, yeah. in that scene. <laughs> which I'm just like, wow, like. That, that is hard to reset. I hope they did like only one take of this because that's hard to reset <laughs> that stuff, you know? Um, Stubbs and, and C go into Olympiad. They don't meet up, right? They don't intersect, but you, you feel like they could have. Yeah. Um, also, Christina and Teddy like open all the doors, send all the security guards home, which is very convenient uh, because then the host version of Caleb can get out. And then Stubbs and, and C find Caleb, and there's a reunion. And it's actually very moving. Um, Caleb and C reunite, and Caleb sees his daughter is all grown up, and C sees his uh, sees her father, and she says, like, you look the same. Like, what did she do to you? Which is, like, exactly the correct reaction you think she should have. And mm-hmm. And I do think it's a little bit hand-wavy, because I think C, if she spent the last 20 years fighting the machines... She might be pretty skeptical of a machine that looks like her dad. Like, isn't wouldn't that be potentially part of a way that um, Charloris might be using to infiltrate her or get to her in some way? But they kind of don't really acknowledge that as a possibility. And yeah. and it is a very moving reunion. I mean, what do you think of this scene that kind of the whole season's been building up to? I'm fascinated by the fact that Aaron Ball has IRL anime eyes. <laughs> during this scene his eyes are they just they're enormous and they well up and it like you said it's it's moving um but at the same time like i know this is me talking but i think Stubbs might be my favorite part of the episode just for like his little quips here and there like mm-hmm. it's first like oh you know let's wait for them they'll be here in a minute and then you know when bernard and Maeve show up ah see i can predict the future haha <laughs> he's learning all the quips from his brother in the uh in the, the MCU. mcu basically <laughs> yeah and then uh caleb locks um stubs in the glass room stubs is back in the glass tub and he's like knock knock can, can someone let me out <laughs> but at the same time you know very he has a very moving goodbye with bernard but um yeah, yeah. back to back to this scene yeah no i you know we've been waiting for the C and Caleb reunion for a while. Oh, you know, C can also stand for Caleb. That's also symbolic in its own way. Um, yeah, I think the, C stands for cookie, yes, actually. Yes, yeah. it does. I don't know if we mentioned that, but yeah. Yeah, uh, last week we sort of speculated on it. Yeah. Um, but I, I also do want to mention that just before this happens, before, um, you know, Christina opens all the doors, including Caleb's, we see Christina and Teddy, you know, walk behind Caleb's thing and like Caleb's cell. And, you know, because they're behind him, he doesn't see them. So there's no like acknowledgement. And mm-hmm. my thought in that moment was, okay, so the you know the people making this show clearly know that we as an audience are going to be speculating about these two timelines that have been kept completely separate from one another. Right? 
these uh you know and there's like you said there's yeah been all yes this because stuff. it's like is the christina stuff happening at the same time as the caleb yeah. stuff that we're seeing yes or even in the same world because yeah. you know there's been a lot of as you know speculation about whether you know she's in the kind of a vr world and so i found the the first crossover between these two storylines you know christina and daddy and literally everyone else the moment she enters the same space as caleb to be so unceremonious and so like nothing that mm-hmm. it was uncanny that it was weird that that right because you'd expect it to be a big moment i think yeah when it, when christina finally intersects caleb because they had so many adventures in season three together too yeah and and so i i thought okay so clearly this is happening in the same physical space mm-hmm. but what are they not telling us because mm-hmm. it was so like almost brushed aside that I was like, there's, there's probably something going on here. And then when, you know, the two, the two sets of characters, uh, Stubbs and C and Teddy and Christina cross paths and don't, don't, it happens slightly off screen, but probably don't acknowledge each other. I was like, wait, okay. So (laughs) is this a timeline thing? Mm -hmm. It can't be because everything is happening. Everything else is happening contemporaneously. And that's when it started to dawn on me. Um, and that Christina is somehow removed from this world in some way. Yeah, yeah, that she, you know, exists and she exists, but in a metaphysical sense. Mm -hmm. And again, really love the Aaron Paul performance, but he's still always just in the process of being told what's happening by other people, (laughs) you know? Like, at no point does he know what's going on in the show. Um, And he needs to be told, like, wait, you're my daughter? Yes, I am. And here's (laughs) proof. Which, by the way, uh, you know how C immediately offers proof that she's his daughter? Yeah. Uh, could have uh, used those skills last week a little bit, don't you think? Um, when oh, she's trying to suss out yeah. which one of her friends yeah. is a host? Anyway. Um, not, that, not that I'm still bitter about that. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any other thoughts on this scene? Hmm. So when Christina asks Teddy who that is, uh, who is that poor man? Daddy's response is a ghost from a past life. Mm, and I found yeah. that really interesting because that is also Christina. That is also Bernard. Mm, yeah. That is also, you know, the new William, Man in Black. That is Charles Loris. That is, at this point, almost everyone in the show. We are watching reflections of real people. We are watching ghosts. We are watching sometimes ghosts of ghosts. And I think that is a fascinating thing to, you know, unpack. Uh, It's a great line. There's actually a lot of great lines in this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, Another great line from William, civilization is just a lie we tell ourselves to justify our real purpose. We're not here to transcend. We're here to destroy, end quote. Mm -hmm. This idea, this belief that um, humanity is is inevitably headed towards self-destruction, you know? Um, Anyway, let's take a break for a moment, Siddhanth. And plug something else that we've been making. Um, Sadanth, if people are enjoying your work here on the Decoding Westworld slash Decoding TV podcast, where else can they find your work? They can find my work on my Twitter, which is at Siddhant Adlaka. And um, the the one review I want to plug this week is for uh, an independent film called I Love My Dad, which is written and directed by and stars uh, a young filmmaker named James, Mor- J- excuse me, James Morrisini um, and also stars Patton Oswalt. And it is based on the director's real-life experience with his estranged father 
catfishing him in the guise of a young, beautiful woman in order to get closer to him. And it is one of the wildest, funniest, and most uncomfortable, and yet most moving movies I've seen this year. And I've reviewed it over at IGN. Awesome. Uh, we'll check out Sidon's review of I Love My Dad, right? Mm-hmm. Over at IGN. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff happened at Warner Brothers Discovery this week. Oh, boy. Um, and it, it's actually placed a lot of questions, uh, placed into question whether or not Westworld will have a season five. Uh, I mean, that was it was already a borderline edge case before, but now it's a real big question as to whether a season five is going to happen. Um, I broke down a lot of the news over on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes, but I made a video basically trying to uh, explain what I thought were the takeaways from this week's Warner Brothers Discovery Investor Call. Uh, and yeah, uh, the short short version of the story, HBO Max is going away. It's going to be combined with Discovery Plus, and there's going to be a new entity, and it's probably not going to be named either HBO or Discovery. It's going to be something else, and uh, and it will probably be worse than <laughs> HBO Max today. So, yeah, in 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 both name and content. So check that out on my personal YouTube channel. Fleep Plus. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, let's move on. So what else happens in this episode? Um, uh, Maeve and Bernard make it to the headquarters, and there's this kind of weird moment where uh, Swole Chappie uh, (laughs) confronts Maeve, and uh, the big big red robots confront Maeve, and uh, Bernard reveals he's able to shut them down. So it's like, well, what was the entire point of the opening scene then? And she's like, why did he give her the grenade launcher? You know? And he, he, she says, he says, uh, oh, I, you were having too much fun. It's like, okay, I guess, I guess they just wanted that opening scene to have some more tension, you know? Because mm-hmm. it would be not as fun if Bernard just shut those things down remotely and they walked into Hoover Dam unmolested, right? But it, yeah. it, kind, of looked, it kind of looked like... Um, as she was going towards the big red robots, that he was just sitting in a corner and texting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, he was texting the kill command to these things. <laughs> uh, 
So they they break in, and then he kind of reveals to her. He's like, "I, I have to tell you something, Maeve. Um, we're doomed. You know, <laughs> we're we're completely screwed. There's no way we're going to get out of this situation." Uh, and he says they can't they they can't uh, really like make it out of this, but like maybe something can survive, right? Like maybe a part of it can survive. Um, and she seems to take it pretty well, you know? Um, but yeah, he, uh, I'm, I'm curious kind of what your takeaway was. What, what do you think? He, what do you think Bernard is talking about? Exactly. You know, I think at this point I'm a little annoyed that, you know, we don't really know like a full, like he, he was introduced again in the third episode. And so episode three, four, five, six, seven, for five episodes, we haven't really been with him, you know, in his point of view. So it's really hard to say. I think the implication that I got out of all this, because we see him, you know, numerous times throughout the season uh, in the sublime, looking out over this burning city. And so I think maybe on some level, it's like, uh, you know, the, I guess the, the Thor Ragnarok thing of like, all right, you know, we, we got to cause this destruction. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the thing that, you know, host William is unleashing, I don't know, somehow leads to, whatever comes next uh that's still you know very up in the air for me that's not something i really have um a handle on either logistically or emotionally so i don't really know how to feel about it because it's never really easy to tell what bernard's objective is (laughs) even in his dying moments i have no idea what he's on about Mm -hmm. um i think jeffrey wright tremendous actor but um i think we should try and find out if he knows what's going on as well (laughs) Um, yeah, but he says, "quote There's no way to save this world. Everyone here is going to die, but we can save one tiny part of it, and maybe that's enough to give us hope." End quote. Yeah, it's it's again. It was it was weird how unceremonious that was too. But um, I have I have some interesting mixed feelings on the unceremoniousness about all this hope dialogue about, you know, these, essentially these platitudes about hope, these um, sort of amorphous references to these intangibles. Like, because at no point do they talk about, like, what this hope means or, you know, what or what it's actually referring to. Like, what are they talking about? But say, save one tiny part of it, what does that mean? Is that one person? Is that, like, a city block? What, what are you talking about? Um, but I think... <laughs> What's also really funny is that I, while I was feeling this way, it, you know, I, I felt this way when it came up again, when Maeve starts talking about, you know, hope or whatever it is when she's fighting Charloris and, and then she just gets shot in the head. No pomp or circumstance. It's like, hope, nah, screw you. This is, this is nihilism hour, baby. Yeah. I mean, I don't, so okay to the original point i think what the bernard and william things storylines are saying is humanity and society is doomed um maybe we can salvage a small part of it and like regrow a new society afterwards Uh, i guess and, and that ultimately like survival is uh the core instinct of humans right like survival passing on your own genetic material like you know that that is what makes people human and that that's what is going to animate the next phase of whatever society and civilization are going to be um 
what form that will come in? Is it going to be in a computer? Is it going to be like a tiny island somewhere? Like that is unclear <laughs> still, right? Um, but yeah. And then there's a really cool hand-to-hand fight scene with Maeve and uh, and Charloris. Yeah. Uh, really awesome. Really well done. And like you feel the, there's like some cool physicality when like one of them hits the other. Like they're really clearly very super powered. And, and Maeve yeah, brought a knife to uh, a surgical instrument fight. <laughs> well done uh but yeah love the fight love that, that it kind of bursts out of the side of the building and into the water and you kind of get a sense of the geography of the place and uh but then mave is yeah executed after she realizes like hey we came here to survive there's no saving this world but there's hope for the next one boom she's shot in the head um and we kind of know from earlier this episode that once you're shot in the brain pearl you're dead and with Charloris, maybe she's going to come back because there's, I believe there's other versions of Dolores out there in the world. Mm-hmm. But Maeve, she was buried underground uh, and unrecoverable and, uh, or very difficult to recover. And um, I have to say, like, w- when I think back this season of how these characters have been treated, I'm not really sure, you know, the juice was worth the squeeze, right? Like, Maeve comes back and what does she actually do? You know, she kind of confronts Charloris a little bit. But, like, the idea of Maeve being a super weapon that can, like, scramble all these things and take control of the tower or whatever, that, it's never really fully realized, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, kind of same thing with OG William, right, who comes back. And his purpose is basically to provide exposition and also to incite new William to take control of his life. But that's it. You know, like, he did, mm-hmm. they, these are kind of like oracles, basically. They, they come back. They don't really have that much impact on the plot. But they kind of advise other characters. Um, and for, for Maeve, I'm a little bit bummed that if this is where the Maeve storyline ended, uh, it's a little bit of a bummer to me. What do you think? Yeah, it's this is why I had mixed feelings on it. Because on one hand, um, it is this, you know, sort of whimper of an ending for her. You know, especially like, you know, especially if this is the last we ever see of Maeve, the whole thing with you know, wanting to get back to her daughter and all that. And I'm not one to say that, yes, she should have ended the story by getting back to her daughter or no, she shouldn't have. But it it feels like a kind of sudden departure and not necessarily in a way that works. But like I said, I uh, was quite amused by, you know, these what I found to be quite meaningless platitudes about like, you know, hope moving forward without any, you know, concreteness as to what they were talking about i was amused by the fact that uh william essentially cut all that short you know his bullet was basically a way of him saying you know shut up stop it just stop talking and and it is a cool shocking moment yeah like i i was surprised that they would build up this character it reminded me of um spoilers for the michael mann film collateral did you ever see that movie collateral uh in bits and pieces oh it's an first of all you gotta see the movie collateral sit Mm -hmm. on um it's an awesome movie but basically like in collateral there do you mind if i spoil it or do you want to see it as i've probably seen the bit you're talking about well there's this character played by mark ruffalo who by the way is going to appear in she hulk attorney at law which decoding tv is going to be recapping next and mark ruffalo plays a cop that's kind of following tom cruise throughout the night right he's kind of tracking down tom cruise who's an assassin throughout the night and then i think around two-thirds of the way through the movie mark ruffalo's character is just unceremoniously murdered like Real quick, with no explanation, and uh, by by the Tom Cruise character, and it's like, whoa! Like, we spent all this time building up Mark Ruffalo as kind of 
a for a formidable force that was going to go up against Tom Cruise's character. Boom, he just killed off all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, that is kind of bold to to do something like that, uh, and it's not super satisfying storytelling, but it is audacious, and I appreciate the audacity. You know, uh, then William, of course, kills Charloris as well. Uh, so that's also pretty shocking. This other character who's yeah. been built up to be a, a formidable force is just killed by William. Um, mixed feelings on that one, but anyway, <laughs> any other thoughts on those deaths before we move to the final kind of sequence? Yeah, I appreciated the Shaloris bit a little more, her death, just because it felt kind of thematically in tune with everything else that the episode was doing between, um, you know, first of all, everything that her story has been so far about the way she wants to supposedly free these other hosts, help them transcend, but she does it by controlling them. So this is kind of her plan going off the rails. Um, I like that this is, you know, this version of William fulfilling, you know, his, I guess his destiny, so to speak, or the, the his programming as, you know, a, a reflection of the original William. Um, and I like that it closes the loop that was recently opened. Not loop, that's not the right word here. But I like that, I like that this William kills his father and then kills his mother. Mm. Mm. Um, and so yeah. her death stands out to me a little more. Like, it's it's equally surprising. I, I, I wouldn't call it shocking in either case, for me at least, because my reaction to, like, Maeve being shot in the head was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Okay. Um, and also, yes, I know they bring up that, you know, once you get shot in the brain bowl, uh, you're gone. But also this, you know, has kind of become sort of a Marvel thing for me where it's like <laughs> death doesn't really matter to me, like, when it comes to... Uh, for the most part, the hosts, the humans are a different story. But because, you know, people have died and come back so many times already, so you're never really sure who's dead and who isn't. Uh, but, you know, regardless of what happens with Maeve, I think it works entirely for the William and Charlotte story. Yeah, uh, I was shocked by Maeve dying. And I think, like, I just don't feel like Maeve's coming back. You know, I, I don't know, like... They've brought her back too many times. I don't know if they're going to be... But the Charloris, I could totally see coming back. Like, that's... You know, there, there's another copy of Charloris potentially in the system already with Christina, right? Like, I, I just... But Maeve, I just don't know how they're going to explain that one. I think they don't know if Tandy Wayne Newton and uh, Tessa Thompson and Jeffrey Wright are going to renew their contracts. Right. I think yeah. they're kind of hedging their bets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they're ki- they're killing everyone off this episode. You know, Tessa Thompson, they're killing all the famous people off yeah. this episode. Right? <laughs> the next episode, the next season is just going to be Stubbs and C, you know, and their adventures together, basically. I mean, I'm fine um, with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Uh, host William confronts Bernard in the tower. Bernard is recording a message uh, to who we don't know, uh, but he says, like, you can't miss. Reach out with your left hand. We don't know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Probably that's a message for Caleb or C or Stubbs, right? But I don't know if you have any thoughts on who that is. Um, and then he shoots Bernard. And actually, for here, let's let's take a moment to just reflect on, like, what exactly Charloris was trying to do. Charloris was trying to create a new world where uh, the sublime, uh, the others in the sublime will join us, quote unquote, eventually when they see to they can inherit this world, end quote. Yeah. Um, so she, she was trying to create this new world. William saying, fuck that. Host William saying, fuck that. We're going to, 
uh, have everyone turn against each other and like burn this whole thing to the ground because like that's the that's what I think humanity and and uh, robots are for mm-hmm. mostly humanity is like let's they're for killing each other and we'll see who survives survival of the fittest I'm gonna make that happen but yeah Charloris I guess she's trying to build a even better version of heaven that has my guess is both humans and hosts what did you make of what Charloris is trying to accomplish oh no I don't think her her vision of you know heaven or transcendence includes humans at all. I think it includes the hosts that she has created um, as well as the hosts that uh, were already in the sublime beforehand. I see. So it's and, it's just a it's just like an extension of the sublime. Yeah. I and that's another maybe, maybe not. And that's another reason that I think she's talking about something in between the sublime and the real world. This sort of mm-hmm. virtual slash physical existence. Yeah. Because. You know, there's if she was trying to convince the sublime of something, it wouldn't just be like, hey, you know, sublimers, subleeps, like hop over to the other sublime. Uh, Subleeps. Subleeps. I think it is that that's another reason I think it is this, you know, this sort of in between kind of world where they literally inherit the world. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. That it's there's some kind of in between. It's not the sublime. It's not the real world. It's something in between, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think there's going to be human. Like, if if like whatever we see of Christina is part of it, then she's still inhabiting a world with humans in it. They're just subjugated humans. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like humans are part of it. They're just they're just not a very prominent part of it. I guess is kind of what my thinking is. Uh, maybe who knows? Hmm. I hope we will find out next week. Yeah, and and I guess also because you know the way that the hosts have been interacting with humans so far, you know, using them sexually and uh, to you know to, to to inflict violence against them, it has all been rooted in the physical, in in them having a physical presence there. So I guess once they transcend that. It's not something they need anymore. Right, right. Exactly. But but maybe they're still in it like Christina is in the world, right? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where like she can be visible and she can influence, but she, there's no physical presence, right? Yeah, because Christina, I mean, I, I guess she, she feels almost like what we're seeing of her is almost like a physical manifestation of those sonic waves in a mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm, like I think it's yeah. a little more complicated than that. But just on a, on a basic level, what we're seeing is – this this physical human projection of something that is happening digitally or virtually. Therefore, mm-hmm. we can see it because we're the audience. She can see it because she is, you know, a being or code or whatever it is that is programmed to interpret herself a certain way. Uh, but the people, for the most part, can't see it until they can start to see the the garden wall, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, until they... Yeah, because you know, the only people who acknowledge her are people who have uh, are, are the outliers, who seem to have been able to see the tower, uh, who have realized there's something wrong with this world. So she, whether mm, she likes it or right. not, she is kind of part of this system of control. Right. Well, you're saying the the only people who can see her are the outliers, but also the fleeps can see her. She, she's interacted with fleeps and also outliers. Both. Yes, but only. The fleeps who seem to have been, in a way, programmed or allowed to interact mm-hmm, with right, her. Does that yeah, make sense? Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. Because... So, so maybe they're not even right, right. So, so maybe they are. They are convinced to see her, right? Yeah. And, and um, but she's not actually there, right? Yeah. Probably, like, right? like yeah. if you 
for example, Maya, assuming that, you know, she's a real person, a real fleet, because she has these, you know, deep-seated memories yeah. of being infected by flies. Take a step back, take an objective view. She's been talking to herself in her apartment. But she has also been talking to Christina. She has also been mm-hmm. interacting with something that is sending signals to her brain saying that there is this person in front of you. Yeah. You know, and this 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 sort of trick of perception, it harkens back to the end of season one where, you know, it's not exactly the same thing, but Dolores's perception of time and reality is, you know, it's sort of folded in where, you know, she's doing things in the present, but experiencing the past at the same time. So in this case, it's like experiencing the present while also perceiving something else, something digital, some kind of VR, to put it simply. Mm -hmm. So it is another trick of perception, so to speak. Yeah, I think we'll find out next week what's going on, finally. Uh, You know, because they want to... I guess they want to save, like, some reveals for the finale, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I guess those reveals would be... What's going to happen with Charloris uh, and the world that she's trying to build? What's going to happen with like William interfering with it? Will everyone have killed each other? Um, and then what's going on with Christina? What's like the the reality with Christina? Um, but yeah. anyway, th- there's a few other events we should just make sure we mention, which is that um, Bernard is just straight up killed. William turns all the fleeps against each other uh, and then blows up the tower. I think it's William blowing up the tower mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so not sure what that's about. I guess it's like he set the fleeps against each other and then now he's destroyed the means by which you could reverse that is kind of, I guess, yeah. what we're supposed to interpret, right? That and also, you know, cool guys don't look at explosions. Oh, totally, totally, yeah. yeah. And then uh, uh, Teddy reveals to Christina, like, your your powers are being overridden by the tones. You're not in this world. It's real, but you're not. Yeah. And as you write in the show notes, Sidanth, boom. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Um, and then you have uh, William in his full man in black getup walking to a remix of The Man Who Sold the World as the tower explodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you make of the end? Any other thoughts on this episode? Yeah, this is the first time I've been convinced of where it's going next. Uh, despite it not being entirely explicit, like you said, like what's really going on with Christina and what transcendence actually is. And I'll, you know, I'll admit to being wrong if it turns out not to be the case. I just think that this is, you know, almost concretely what this has now become about, mm-hmm. what this last episode will be hopefully yeah. about. Uh, that, you know, the sort of almost blurring between the physical and the virtual, which is mm-hmm. always something the show has dealt with, but. You know, I mean, we've been, we've been let down before, so I'm not going to get my hopes up too much. But at the same time, I think this has been a great season. I agree. And um, I, agree. I, you know, as much as I sort of kind of shrugged at Maeve's death and as much as I treated Charloris's death as like, yes, that makes sense thematically. I was genuinely moved by um, uh, Bernard's death, even though I don't understand what he's doing still like there's still this just right what is this small no, piece of society that they're going to save right yeah, like, what, no what is idea. that all about that was a, i guess that's another outstanding question that's yeah we should be it's, resolved next episode it's all yeah. these flashbacks that keep referring to like uh you know i know what's going on but you the audience you don't but at the same yeah. time those flashbacks are so meaningfully assembled and edited at these really key points for him that these are the things that are so important to him that these are his dying moments 
these thoughts are his dying moments. And that frustrates me because we don't know what they really are, but also gives them this greater importance that says to me, okay, I can't wait to find out because now this isn't just a narrative conceit. This isn't just, haha, the writers know what's going on, the audience doesn't. It is also, whatever this is was so important that it is almost everything that he could think of, almost all that he was thinking of when he died. Mm -hmm. And it is this very human and at times Christian conception of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think also makes it more meaningful than just, you know, the, the previous two headshots where yeah. you know, it, it, it's just like a plot thing. You just see it happen. I liked the, you know, the opening of the door and the lights yes. filling in and then kind of shorting out. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a cool moment. It's it cool is. Moment. It's like this perfect blurring between uh, human perception and digital perception where, yeah. you know, Bernard is walking through this door towards this light, uh, which is, again, like it, it you can read it in, Two ways: one, you know, an Abrahamic conception of heaven; two, hypoxia, the shortage of, like, when you're when you're dying and your your brain lacks oxygen, uh, you start to experience like this white mm-hmm. light, um, and that's why those two things are sort of you know that's why a lot of people report when they're dying that they see some kind of bright light, and three, it doesn't fade out; it doesn't cut to black; it glitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which yeah. I think is both the obvious thing and also a really powerful thing because it's not, it is a glitch at such a key moment that says that, you know, he was so human that he is ultimately experiencing a human death where the last thing he sees is a loved one and light. Mm-hmm. But it also then like, it, I'm it kind of getting, you. it it's reminds not, you that, not quite. Yeah. yeah, it gives you the question like, this is so real and it feels so real, but how real is it? How can we sh- how can we be sure of how real it is? Mm-hmm. Because of you know, it pixelates, you know. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. But it'd be pretty shocking if both all three of those characters were dead for good. And you're right; like they might not come back next season. So, uh, okay. And I'm I'm surprised you weren't shocked at Maeve's death. Like I would assuming she would get to do a little bit more than yeah, what I, she's done. Yeah. No, I was I was shocked in the sense of like that is a surprising decision. I thought they would do more. That's a little disappointing. I right. wasn't shocked as in like I didn't have like an emotional, visceral mm-hmm. reaction yeah. to something shocking. I wasn't like <gasps> it was more like, ah, okay. I was like, oh, so much potential that yeah, wasn't lived yeah. up to uh, for that character. I guess more disappointed than shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. By the way, The Man Who Sold the World, according to songmeaningsandfacts.com, <laughs> this song, originally by David Bowie, later performed by Nirvana, is about a man who is shocked to meet the other version of himself or his personality he thought had been done away with. He is able to recognize this different version because it's probably from his past and he thought he had buried it, end quote. Anyway, I don't a think very that's appropriate song for this episode of nah, the show. I can't, I can't figure out why that would be relevant. <laughs> All right, folks. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of Decoding Westworld, a.k.a. Decoding TV, which we will be called starting next week. Uh, but we really appreciate you sticking with us. You can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv or decodingwestworld at gmail.com. And until next time, he is Sinatha Laka. I am David Chen. We'll see you next week for the finale of Decoding Westworld. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.